This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. On an early spring morning, southern Colorado at the Cottonwood campground, a young girl named Mandy put on her flip-flops, unzipped the door to her family's RV, and stepped out hours before her family would wake. See, even before her family became aware of it, Mandy was lost and gone. So a couple of hours later when her family finally woke up, got busy doing their day, and they noticed that she was gone, they freaked out. And what would be any parent's worst nightmare? Our kids that we love without provocation or indication are gone. And that's exactly what happened. They called 911. And the Joshua Tree search and rescue team was immediately dispatched to the campground. The first person to show up on the scene, her name was Hannah Nala. Hannah has a gift many of us do not possess. She has the capacity to track people. So as a tracker, she shows up, and the first person that she wants to talk to is Mandy's mother. She goes to Mandy and begins to ask her a lot of questions that seem irrelevant. How tall is she? How much does she weigh? What kind of shoes was she wearing? What size is her shoe? And after she gains a little bit of information, she begins her search. It's an hour after she starts searching before she even finds the first signs of little Mandy's footprints. But it's not long after that that she's on her trail. You see, something was happening inside of Hannah. All along, Hannah describes this experience that she is somewhat in a surrogate sort of way, becoming little Mandy's mom. She said that by the time she found that first footprint, she was already in love with the little girl, already completely compelled to find her. You see, in the early spring in the Colorado desert, this girl is facing uh, what is going to be extreme temperatures in the desert. And she didn't go prepared. She is going to be facing hypothermia, drying out, not having enough water, right? She's not got any food with her. And so after what has been now about four or five hours, there are planes overhead looking for flying a grid. There's a search team on the ground, and there's Hannah who's following her and tracking her. After about three hours of tracking her, Hannah noticed that her footprints and her tracks were becoming highly erratic, that she was crossing over herself and her trail was going in and out, that it looked as if she was wearing out and wearing down. And Hannah knew that at that moment, the situation was dire. So she began to call out to her, Mandy, Mandy, where are you, Mandy? 
Mandy, Mandy. She said that by the moment that she started calling out for her, she felt as if she was the girl's mother. And she was searching for one of her kids. You see, Hannah had two kids at that moment. So she knew what it was like to be a mom. And she was searching desperately to find these children, right? So she crosses over the top of a ravine following the, the path that Mandy had left. And in the bottom of the ravine, she sees a little girl running towards her, yelling, I'm Mandy. I'm Mandy. So I think that story connects with where many of us are, where many of us are today. You see, the simple truth of who you are is that you were created to be loved. You were created to be loved. God made you as an object of his affection and love. God wants to love you, and he wants you to experience love, not just with him, but with other people. God made you to be loved. But here's the problem. Every single one of us has unzipped the tent of our lives, stepped out to do life our own way. To do life our own way. You see, we've all ran from the intention that God had for our lives. And I think that often when we think about how does God treat us or what does God do in those moments, we think about a very judgmental God who sits back and says, you're a loser, you're a screw-up, you're getting what you deserve. But I want you to see in the heart of Hannah this morning a God that searches and chases after us. That God doesn't leave you alone. Just like a good father that sees his child wandering off, we have a God who loves us so much that God would chase us. See, last week we talked about how God loves us so much that he's willing to let us know when we've stepped outside of his plan. And that when God shows us that we're living in a sinful way, that sinfulness and that awareness of our sin and God's an invitation to step into a different life, that conviction is a loving invitation to have our lives transformed by God. And most of us, well, most of us today are finding ourselves in the same place that little Mandy was, having unzipped the tent of our lives and went for a walk on our own. See, I was thinking this week about, well, what, what does it mean to love someone and to, to experience, you know, it's Valentine's Day, to, to make it, you know, throughout, throughout a lifetime of it, experiencing love and loving someone. I heard this story this week about a, about a couple, and they're, they're older, and the husband is, is very ill. He's on his deathbed. He's going in and out of a coma. And he wakes up and he looks at his wife and he says, you know, baby, you know, when, when we first got married and I lost my job, you were there. And a couple years later, you know, when I lost, I lost that business that we started, you, you were there. And then after a few years when we couldn't afford to pay the mortgage anymore, you were there. And he stops. He's a little puzzled. 
and looks at her and he says, you know what? That time I got food poisoning. You were there. And that time we were hiking and I, and I tripped and I fell down the side of the mountain and I, I broke my leg. You, you were there. You know what? Maybe the problem all along was you. <laughs> I think sometimes in the midst of pain and confusion, we, we, we get confused about what love is. And last week we talked about what love really looks like. That most of the time when we, uh, when we identify and define love, we talk about love in the terms of emotions, right, and affections. But love really is not that. Love is a commitment. It, it, it's great to know this morning, that God has made a commitment to love us. And that commitment has been made not by how valuable or how good we are, but because of his decision to love us. God loves us. Isn't that a good thing to know today? And I was reading and studying as we were prepping for this uh, message series, and I came across a quote that I want to share with you from from C.S. Lewis. Because it talks about something that's so important. It talks about how vulnerability plays a role in our capacity to be loved. And what happens when we are vulnerable. Look at this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything. And your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. How many of y'all have had your heart broken by an animal before? Right? It happens. We've been there. All right. Don't give it. If you want to keep it intact, don't give it to anyone. He continues on. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable and irredeemable. How many of y'all know this? That if we turn away from the vulnerability that love really is born out of, that all we're turning into is sin and a hard heart. And a hard heart can't be, can't be damaged, it can't be broken, but it, but it can't feel either. And so as Lewis wraps it up, he says, to love is to be vulnerable. You see, we're left with really one Distinct choice. One distinct choice when it comes to love. Are we going to be vulnerable and embrace the vulnerability of possibly being hurt? Or are we going to be hard-hearted and get to the point where we push everybody away and we can't feel anything at all anymore? Because here's the truth. If you love anybody long enough, they're going to hurt you. If you love anybody long enough, they're going to hurt you. And there are some of you that are here today, and you're dealing with wounds that have come from people that you love and you care about, people who have, have, you have given your heart to, and in response to that reaction, all they've done is, is stomped on it and hurt you. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about how, how do we deal with woundedness in the context of our relationships? How do we deal with that? Because so many of you are carrying wounds that have yet to be healed. And I want you to understand today, God's plan is not for you to stay wounded, but God wants to heal you. God wants to restore you. The death of Jesus was the price to bring that into your life. And the first thing, this is in your notes today, that I want you to understand 
is that we must accept it's never simply their problem. It's never simply their problem. You know, oftentimes in the dynamics of relationships, it's so easy to say, this is completely and totally their fault. This is all you. This is none me. This is all you. I'm going to be honest with you. We get to fighting at home. (laughs) I'm the first one to throw. This is all you. Ain't got nothing to do with me. But that's a complete lie. Because in the context of a relationship that God defines where the two become one, it is never simply their fault. I learned this firsthand early on in ministry, a family that was very dear to us, great friends. We had had dinner with them the night before the next morning, very early when I was in a, a morning meeting. I got a call, and it was my friend, and he was crying. He said, Kevin, I need to meet with you. And so I showed up, and I went to his office, and sitting across the desk from him, he said, Kevin, last night I found out that my wife has been having an affair. Now they had three small kids, one very young baby, all right, only a couple months old. And I said, Josh, how long has it been going on? And he said, man, this has been happening for months and months and months. And he sat there and wept and cried and cried and wept. And we held each other and prayed. And he made a decision. I'm going to go after my my wife. I'm going to defend my family. I'm I'm not going to give this up to sin and brokenness. And he, he went after it. And many of us think, man, that's about as bad as it could get. That's, a ba- that's just about as bad as it could ever be. But his wife didn't make the decision to stay. As a matter of fact, for about six months, he had to fight for his wife. He had to go find her when she was going back to this guy. And about six months later, we sat down to talk. And he said, Kevin, about nine months before this thing ever even started, about nine months, one day, we were having dinner with this guy and his wife. And he said, you know what happened? I was sitting back, and we were all having fun, and I looked under the table, and I noticed that their feet were touching. And I thought, that's weird. They probably shouldn't be doing that. He said, but, you know, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. I didn't want to cause a fight. I didn't want to make a scene. He said, and I've realized all along that I saw signs And I did nothing. And God asked me to be the leader of our family. God asked me to protect my wife. And I didn't do it. And I'm as much at fault as she is. Because I didn't. See, it's never just their problem. The second thing that we need to do is we need to learn to confess our sin and to repent to each other. To confess our sin and to repent to each other. We understand oftentimes the dynamic of confession and repentance and how it works with with us and, and the Lord, right? We get that. I need to confess my sin to God. I need to repent to God. I get, we get that. But here's the thing. You don't just sin against God. Your sin has an impact on the relationships that are close to you. That is how you often wound the people that you love. You sin against them. And when we sin against someone, we also need to confess and to repent to them. Because here's the thing. There is a connection between repentance and healing. There is a confession between repentance and healing. James 1 says that we need to confess our sins one to another so that we might be healed. 
And all throughout Scripture, when the topic of repentance is brought up, it's connected to healing. A few months ago, we preached a series called Friends with Benefits. I promise you it was not about what you think it was about, all right? We talked about Psalm 103, where the the Bible lists out the benefits of our relationship with God. And in Psalm 103, verse 3, the Bible says, He forgives all my sins and heals all all my diseases. There is a connection between the way that we confess and repent and the way that God can heal. I want you to understand God can't fix the problem in your relationship if it's sin and you won't repent for it. God can't fix it. So we need to become very good at repenting to one another. Here's the thing. If you're married, you should be repenting to your spouse. I'm going to tell you something that's really even much harder. If you're a parent, you need to repent to your kids because you will sin against your kids. You will make decisions. You will say things out of fear or out of anger. You need to repent to your children because they need to see what it looks like in you. Stop waiting for the other person to go first. Number three. Seek healing together. Seek healing together. If you both got into the mess, why do we think that only one of us can get us out? If you're both involved in creating the mess, why do we think that only one of us can get us out? Why do we think you need to go work on that? You ain't got that together. You need to get to the point where you can pull the toilet seat down, right? You get mad about stuff like that, right? It's your problem. You can do it. If God says that marriage is where two become one, the solution to healing is never going to be in just one of the two, okay? Y'all with me on that? We need to seek healing and restoration together. And number four, instead of judgment, focus on grace and mercy. Isn't that how we really get into the biggest messes that we face? That instead of being gracious and merciful, we become judges? How many of y'all have ever been at that point where you've been looking across the table or you've been looking across the house and you've been so mad because you say, you're wrong, I'm right. What you did was wrong. The way you behaved was wrong. The way you treated me was wrong. What you said was wrong. And in those moments, don't we conveniently forget that we've done the same thing to God? That we've sinned against Him. That we've lied. That we've failed Him. That we have never fully lived up to his requirements. And God looked at you and realized that you could never do that. And so God sent his son Jesus to pay the price for your sin. You see, God said, all right, I know that to love you, I'm going to have to be selfless. I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to give grace. I'm going to give mercy. And I've told you this a time and time again, but I want to remind you of this. The only way that a relationship can be sustained for a lifetime is through grace and mercy. That is it. It is God's plan for a relationship. 
We are not sustained by our own righteousness. We are sustained by grace and mercy. Think about it. Isn't that how God loves you? Your relationship with God is not sustained because you are good enough to earn his love. It is sustained simply because he paid the price to give you grace. So in our relationships, when we're wounded, we need to pay the price to give grace. I promise you that in my close relationships, the greatest gift I've ever been given is to see how deeply my sin can wound somebody and to watch them go through the process of forgiving me. You see, oftentimes we think about that situation as being so divorced from God's love, but I want you to know today that God when you're feeling and experiencing pain in life, God desires to love you intently through it. As a matter of fact, as we wrap up this message today, what I'd like to do is to take a moment and talk about how God uses our pain to love us. The first thing that I want you to see today is that pain always has a purpose. Pain always has a a purpose. Pain has a purpose. And I think that when we get in the midst of times when we have been wounded and life is filled with pain, that we, we get to these places and we find no purpose in it. But I want you to understand that God wants to love you in the midst of that, and He has a purpose for the pain that you're experiencing. Look at James 1, beginning in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. How many of us do that? We don't do that often, do we? Count it joy when we're facing trials. For the trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It is producing something. So let perseverance finish its work. Can we back up to the story of Hannah and Mandy. You see, that morning, when Hannah showed up to track little Mandy as she wandered off into the desert, Hannah describes that as one of those moments when she was so emotionally connected with this little girl that she had to find her. Do you want to know why it was that way that morning? It was because Hannah had two kids who were missing as well. See, her kids had been abducted by her estranged husband. They had no idea where they were. And that morning, when she showed up to that campsite, that pain that she was experiencing connected her to that problem in a difficult and different way. And God used it to give her a passion for finding that little girl. See, the thing is, I want you to see this. This is number two, that God gives us through pain what we cannot gain in peace. God gives us through pain what we cannot gain in peace. Now, I want to stop here and just talk about pain in our lives. See, oftentimes we talk about what God can do through the times that we face pain, and we struggle with that. Because here's how we struggle. We say, God, you must have caused it. God, you must, you're putting me through this. You're teaching me a lesson. Let me just tell you something. God does not cause the pain that we experience. Sin does. God designed this world to be perfect. 
that we would live in peace and comfort. We broke the system. We sinned. And when we experience pain, we experience the consequences of sin. But God, God doesn't waste our pain. God uses it. And he gives us, in the context of pain, what we cannot gain in peace. Look at Romans 8 with me, beginning in verse 3. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems. How many of y'all are rejoicing when you run into problems? Not many of us. For we know they help us develop. They help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope will lead, will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God has loved us. You see, in the months and years leading up to that moment with Mandy, Hannah had taken her kids out of an abusive situation with her husband. He had grown more and more abusive, and finally, when the kids were very young, had become physically abusive. Let me just stop and say this. If you're in a physically abusive relationship, email me, and we'll get you help. It's kevin at vortexchurch.com. She took her kids and ran, literally ran, ran from Texas all the way to Arizona where they were stationed. She bought a house out in the middle of a field with no trees or nothing. And when she came home, she would drive around the house. Eventually, she'd get out and walk around the house and observe the ground. She learned how to track, not from a school, but out of her situation and trying to protect her family. In an interview with her, I heard a a news reporter, as they were walking around her house, say, what do you see on the ground right now? She said, I can see that six people have been here in the last week. Two men, two women, and two kids. I can tell that that stick right there has been stepped on two times in the last 24 hours by two different people because of the dirt that's resting on top of it. See, she learned that in the midst of her pain. God gave her something that she could never have gotten through peace. And so many of us, often we miss the purpose of God in the midst of our pain because we're running. And I want you to see this. This is the third thing, that God uses our pain to prepare us for his purposes. God uses our pain to prepare us for his purposes. You see, oftentimes we think of loving as keeping away from pain. And we know this as parents, that sometimes we watch our kids get out every daggum toy they have so that they can play. And we sit back and watch them. Watch them. I mean, why don't you just pick one, play with it? Nope, keep getting another one out. And, after, and a good parent realizes, in a little bit, you're going to hate me because I'm going to make you put all of them up. You're going to be mad at me. But that's what a good parent does. And see, God, God does not keep us from the discomfort that our sin produces. Because he knows that we can gain through pain that which we cannot gain in peace. God prepares us for his purposes in the midst of pain. And I want you to see that today, that God didn't even hold his son back from pain. 
that God sent his son Jesus knowing that there was no other way for you and I to be reconciled to God. God gave his son over to death where he would die on a cross bearing your sins, bearing my sins so that we can be reconciled to him. A few weeks after Mandy was found, Hannah received a call from the state police in Texas. We found your kids. She said, I broke down and cried. Not because they were found, but because I couldn't do anything to help them. After all the work I did to try to prevent it, after all the skill that I had to be able to find them, I was not even involved in their redemption. See, that's exactly how it is with us and God. We can never be good enough to earn salvation. We can never be too far past it because of how bad we've been. God didn't save his son Jesus from pain because the pain that he bore on the cross paid the way for all of us to find healing and restoration. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're the God that when we walk away from you, you chase us and you don't leave us alone. What a powerful thing to know that today, through your, your love and your passion for us, that you refuse to let us run away, that you chase us. And there are some of us today, God, that we have been running from you. We've been running away. We've been trying to get away. Some of us have done it on purpose, and some of us just wake up in a moment like this realizing that we have blown it. And today, God, it's my prayer that for those of us that are hidden, are hidden and, and, and running, hiding from, from you today, God, but for those of us that are in the room that are there, that we would hear you calling our name as you chase after us, realizing that a thousand steps away is just one step back. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me ask you that question today. Are you running from God? Are you running from God? Now I want you to stop right now because there are some of you that are here and you've been running and you're playing the mental games right now to say, no, that's not me. That's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I love Jesus. No. I, 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 want, I, I want you to really be honest with yourself. Have you been running away from God? Have you been running away from feeling and sensing God's conviction that your life can be different? Have you been running away from giving your all to Him? Have you been running away from being reconciled to Him? Have you been running away from living the life that you know He wants you to live? Have you been running? Because if you've been running, He's here chasing you today. If you're that person that's in here and you say, I'm the one. I've been running, and I want to tell God today that I'm turning around. I'm going to accept the life that you want for me. I'm going to live it. I'm going to receive it today. Raise your hand if that's you today. God, I want that life. I'm turning to you. Raise your hand if that's you. Who else? Who else today? 
I'm going to ask another question. There's a lot of us in this room today that have been wounded. A lot of us that know that we need the healing that only God can bring. And we want to learn and gain what God is trying to teach us through the pain. If you're in that place today, and you're in that that season of difficulty, and you just want to say to God, God, I want you to do what you want to do in my life. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to run from you in the pain. Run. Raise your hand if that's you today. So God, we thank you that you don't leave us alone, that you chase us, that even in the midst of our most difficult and vulnerable moments, God, that you love us deeply. So thank you, God. Thank you for that love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, We encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.